the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, here to study with you this week in sections 102 through 105 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And Zach doesn't like when I do this, but I'm going to add that in that it's for the week of September 13th through 19th. I don't have a problem with that. Makes me feel more organized when I say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Last week, um, I was not on the podcast and... I know I listened to what Zach recorded and it was great. And I was thinking, man, I kind of think you do better on your own. Remember, this was going to start out as a solo gig. For those of you who we've probably said this before, but the whole idea of this podcast was like, hey, Zach, you should do a podcast. And here I am, kind of the clunky, uh, I was going to say third wheel. I'm the third wheel between you and the microphone. (laughs) None but, of those things are true, except that it was, you had the idea for me to start, but. No, I, and then last week it was purely like, I had not studied, I was not prepared, and we had to do a full on, like, tag team, where we were like, we got to do the podcast, but I'm going to let you do that. So thanks, Zach, for taking that one for us. And this week I said, I told Zach, I'm like, I think I owe you for, for that, for that one. So I'm not going to say anything this week. But I said, let's be real. It would never get recorded if it was just me doing it. So anyway, we're back together this week and, um, here we go with the study. Anything else to say, Zach? No, no. I just, the number of, um, compliments listeners have given us that are focused on you rather than me are very Mm. outweighed. So, oh geez. People. I shouldn't have said that anything to say it, but <laughs> I differ on my thing, my thoughts on that. But um, it's a good thing thank we work you. together. Yes, <laughs> thank you for your patience with me, where I am a person who doesn't know how to talk that has a podcast. So <laughs> we'll get back to anyway. We'll get back to the real business of things, and we're happy to be here studying um, with you today. So this block of study sections one hundred and two through one hundred and five they're kind of difficult ones. Um, I I work with a lot of called seminary teachers in the stakes out here, and <laughs> they're starting seminary this week. Some of them are. And uh, one of the teachers asked me, uh, she said, uh, she's just been recently called, and she was looking ahead. Of course, seminary studies the same things that we study in Come Follow Me. And this being the first week she was starting, she said, so does that mean if, if I'm starting in section 102, the first lesson we should start with is a lesson on disciplinary councils. That's how we should start the seminary school year. <laughs> and Got to teach them the basics I first, so. right? I said, no, we can do other things. But it is kind of a um, amalgamated group of scriptures where we have section 102 that's uh, very tactical on membership councils um, and how those are to be run. Um, then you have sections 103 and 105 that are related to the, the redemption of Zion and the camp of Israel that becomes known as Zion's camp. Section 104, the dissolution of the United Order. And so they can seem a bit scattered, but I did notice there's a thread throughout all of them. And the thread I noticed is they are all sections in one way or another dealing with... Uh, mistakes or failure. 
Section 102 is how do you help church members who have made mistakes or have failed to keep covenants and promises that they have made. Uh, Section 103 is we've made some mistakes in Zion and because of that, or at least partially because of that, we have lost the city of Zion. Uh, Jackson County, Missouri, the residents there that were there before the church got there um, decide they don't want church members in their county anymore, and so they remove them from the county. They break the printing press, they tar and feather some of the members, some of the leaders there, uh, and essentially at gunpoint escort them from the county. And so when Joseph Smith and other Kirtland church leaders find out about it, uh, they get section 103, which is how do we respond to this this uh, failure to keep Zion. Section 104, we have this united order, but it hasn't been, uh, some of the, the members of the united order haven't been keeping the covenants that go along with that united order, mainly the covenant to consecrate their properties. And so section 104 kind of organizes, reorganizes the united order, but shortly after the section was given, the united order is just dissolved completely, partly because of what's going on in Missouri. And then section 105, of course, is the famous section that uh, Joseph Smith organizes Zion's camp. Originally, they want 500 people to go with them. They can't find 500 people, so they get 200, and they march all the way to Missouri, hundreds of miles <clears throat> through horrible conditions. Uh, one of the stories is that they, they, so the water was so bad in some places, they had to drink the water through their teeth to strain the bugs out of the water. That's how, how poor their drinking water was. Um, and then they get right to the border of where they could actually go into Jackson County and maybe provide some assistance. And they're commanded in section 105 to turn around and go back. And uh, Zion's camp doesn't fire a single bullet. They return home. Uh, the camp of Israel is dissolved. So all of these sections deal with uh, failure in one way or another. And so what we want to do this episode was look at what we learn about quote-unquote failure, not just the historical failures. What do we learn about those moments in our life when things don't go as planned, when we expected something to go a certain way and it doesn't? There's prophecies in here. Section 103, uh, some of the earliest verses are all about that Zion will be reclaimed and never lost again until the Savior comes. And yet it wasn't reclaimed and we didn't get it back, and we don't have a temple in Jackson County, Missouri. And these prophecies that seemed so clear and so emphatic that from our perspective seemed not to have been fulfilled, well, that happens in our life all the time where we expect something to happen and it doesn't. And what do we do with that? How do we grapple with uh, seeming failure? What principles do we learn? I think this is such a good question um, because it's life. Most often things don't go the way we plan them and in our minds, in our human form, that that sounds kind of dumb. I was going to say in our human mind, but that's what our mind is. <laughs> um, I think we can really get fixated on how things need to look, how things need to be. And we, of course, make plans. That's part of being a human is just making plans and hoping that things go that way the way that we want them to do. But I think this is interesting because this is a life lesson that probably we all learn over and over in big and small ways, that things don't always go the way that we want them to, um, and that that's okay. And that even when they don't, learning that lesson of that God's still with us 
through however it, it happens. And I really liked, um, we kind of thought of two points that we wanted to discover. And the first one of that is something that I noticed showing up a few different times in section 104 was the phrase, um, and inasmuch as he is faithful, I will multiply blessings upon him and his seed after him. Now, this is just a few different verses I'm going to read in section 104. So that was verse 25, verse 31. And inasmuch as they are faithful, behold, I will bless and multiply blessings upon them. And verse 35, and inasmuch as he is faithful, I will multiply blessings upon him. 38, and again in 42, and there's probably a couple others that maybe I missed in there, but this idea of multiplying blessings. I like this in verse 42. I will multiply blessings upon him and his seed after him, even a multiplicity of blessings. And I think that what I liked thinking about that as we think about this question is first that this idea of faithful, in as much as he is faithful, what that really means to be faithful. Um, I don't think that this means that we have to be perfect. There's no perfection in faithfulness. I think that means that we keep trying, we keep hoping. Well, in fact, even maybe at, we can't be faithful without a little bit of imperfection because uh, we were talking about this before, but in my mind, being faithful means being loyal. And what these mm -hmm. experiences are is a test of loyalty. Am I going to stay loyal to God when things don't go the way that I thought they would go? Or am I abandoning ship? Faithfulness to me means I'm I'm going to be loyal to somebody even when things are difficult, even when I perceive that God told me something that isn't happening the way that I want it to happen or the way that I thought he meant it would happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like I like that word loyal. I think that's a good way of describing it because a lot of times in the Book of Mormon we hear this in as much as they kept the commandments they were blessed and that's that theme over and over and this has kind of that same feel. Um, this one specifically in verse 42 says and he, as he is faithful in keeping my commandments which I have given unto them and then that becomes this thing of oh I'm not keeping the commandments the right exact way so I'm going to not have my multiplicity of blessings that I'm looking for. But I think that that idea of what faithfulness really means is that we're, we continue to turn to God and continue to seek him. Um, and then the second part of that is this idea of um, the multiplying of blessings. I think that when things don't go the way that we were promised or that we thought or maybe that we expected, that there's this multiplicity of blessings. There's many ways that the story can end. And I, I like thinking of these different ways of maybe it didn't happen in this one box, this one path that we were expecting or hoping or seeing in our mind's eye, but there was many ways that the story could have ended and still been a very happy ending, that God sees multiple ways for a happy ending for us. It reminds me of the phrase that has become kind of one of your catchphrases, the best possible outcome is unfolding, right? That when uh -huh. things don't <laughs> seem like they're going well, you say this to me all the time when I'm stressed or the kids all the time when they're really worried. Mostly I say it in my mind. <laughs> the best possible is out outcome is unfolding, Krista. Don't worry. <laughs> and I think that's a great example, actually. I like that because for me, that's very personal because when I get anxiety ridden and I usually get anxiety ridden because I'm thinking that things have to happen in this way and what if they don't happen in this way or however that is but oh wait they are things are going to unfold 
And they might not be unfold in a way that I think they might or that I need to worry about because usually there's many multiple ways that it's going to be really awesome. Well, I love that perspective, especially because one of the most oft asked questions that comes up in a section or in a section of study like this is why does God allow such bad things to happen? especially to people. And I know that the references in these sections talk about there was some disobedience to commandments. Uh, There wasn't full, as you said, perfection of living the laws and covenants. And had they done that, could they have retained Zion? I don't know. But we have plenty of modern examples where bad things happen irrespective of people's righteousness And the question always comes up, why does God allow that? And one of the reasons I've come to believe is very true is for us to have a chance to strengthen our faithfulness and or our loyalty. It's not a test for God. He already knows our hearts, but it is a test for us. There's a power in me knowing I'm going to stay loyal to God even when life gets hard. A famous quote, I think it was uh, uh, President Kimball that said when Abraham went up the mountain to uh, offer Isaac as a sacrifice, it wasn't so that Abraham, or so that God could learn something about Abraham, it's so that Abraham could learn something about Abraham, so that he could learn he will be loyal to God regardless of what's asked or what comes to him. I like that a lot. The truth that I discovered that I think helps frame quote-unquote failure um, and, and stay with me on this because it sounds almost um, heretical, but I want to make sure I can explain it fully. God is different from us. I know that one of the truths we are very fond of as members of the Restored Church is that we know so much about the person, the personality of our Father in Heaven and, of course, of Jesus Christ. One of the great Uh, lights of the restoration is that we know so much more about God. He's not an unknown or an unknowable God to us as he is to uh, so many other people in the world. We have some concrete descriptions of who he is. However, to balance that out, he is still God. He is still an eternal being who has no veil over his mind, who sees uh, the beginning from the end, and who lives in an eternal space. And I sometimes worry that because we know more about God, we tend to humanize him too much. He is an immortal being, not a mortal one. And yet to make him more understandable, we sometimes try to fit him into a mortal box and ascribe to him things that don't necessarily belong to him just to make sense. Uh, Some doctrinal backup for this. This is a great reference in Ecclesiastes that we don't quote very often, but if you've ever talked to um, uh, members of different Christian denominations about God, this is one that they use a lot. It's Ecclesiastes 8, the very last two verses. It says, When I applied mine heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, then in verse 17, Then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, farther, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. In other words, there are some things about God we just cannot figure out or know 
because he is eternal uh, and living in an eternal space and we are mortal and our understanding of him is limited. We know what we need to know for our salvation and progression, but we don't know everything about him, of course. And so, as I was looking this week, I thought, I wonder if the reason why things seem like failure is because, kind of like what you mentioned, Krista, we look at it from an, uh, a limited perspective, and we don't see things the way that God sees things. Specifically, I thought, I, I think God sometimes, often, maybe always, has a different vision than we do, different goals than we do, and different plans than we do. I'm a big vision, goals, and plans person. And so, some examples. Section 103. Um, there's some time stamps in these verses. Verse 5. Verily I say unto you that I have decreed a decree which my people shall realize, inasmuch as they hearken from this very hour unto the counsel which I, the Lord their God, shall give unto them. Behold, they shall, for I have decreed it, begin to prevail against mine enemies from this very hour. And by hearkening to observe all the words which I, the Lord their God, have, shall speak unto them, they shall never cease to prevail until the kingdoms of the world are subdued under my feet, and the earth is given unto the saints to possess it forever and ever. Now, at first blush, reading that makes it seem like this is immediate. This hour, we're going to obey this hour, and then we're going to reclaim Jackson County, Zion, this very hour, and then we'll hold it from now until the millennium. Uh, I think that's how some of the early saints understood that revelation. However, then you throw in something like this from Psalm 90, uh, where the psalmist says, A thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when is past, and as a watch in the night. In other words, God's vision of things is much broader than ours. And where we might look at something and see immediacy to him, that immediacy is in terms of decades, centuries, maybe millennia, where things uh, to an eternal being seem more immediate than to us. And so we might misunderstand or see failure when we tend to shorten God's time frame rather than to expand our minds and, and try and see things the way he does. This is all making sense to me because this is all about time travel for you. <laughs> I can't stand those movies that make you travel back and forth in time so much and here. Zach always loves them. I won't rewatch them because the, I get too confused. If a movie mentions time travel, you're gone and you're done and have zero patience for and it. And I'm laughing. Sorry, I just had to say that because I'm laughing at like, oh, this would be something Zach notices because this is like kind of like a scripture. <laughs> scripture version of Back to the travel. Future. Anywho, not, not Back to the Future, just all those universe, multiple universe, multiple mm -hmm. time frames, multiple back and forth. Well, maybe just as a practical example, this came up in our... Um, ironic priesthood class day there was a young man that we were talking about ward activities and he just he was talking about an activity uh, i think it was a halloween activity he says yeah how come we haven't done that activity in a while and his dad sitting right next to him says well we did it last year and so we haven't done it again because it's not yet halloween but because you've only been alive for 14 years one year is a pretty big sliver of your life so it feels like this has been a very long time for you and I think that's maybe a smaller example of this. Here's a father looking at his son saying, you think that this is such a big thing when I look at this and see a very short amount mm, of time. That's so true. I think God is different in his goals that he has uh, sometimes for us. This one was one I love. I love these verses. Um, partly because I think it so sharply contrasts our 
commercial free market idea of success and wealth that we uh, inherit as Westerners. Section 104, verses 15 uh, through 17. It is my purpose to provide for my saints, for all things are mine. That's verse 15. Then at the very bottom of verse 16, it says, I, the Lord, have decreed to provide for my saints that the poor shall be exalted in that the rich are made low. That is a very different goal than most uh, people would say they have. Uh, God's goal is to lift up the poor and to make low the rich. And he explains, of course, that the rich are made low because they're willing to sacrifice and to, to give up and to share. Verse 17, the earth is full and there is enough and to spare. Yea, and I prepared all things and have given unto the children of men to be agents unto themselves. And so uh, there's an example of God having a different goal. If we're looking at something and we have a mortal or an earthly goal, it's not going to work out the way that we expect because God's goals are different than our goals. And then the last one, uh, in between those two passages I read, God's plans are different from ours. There's, of course, the famous reference in Isaiah, my ways are higher than your ways. Well, here it is in section 104 again. Again, verse 15, it's my purpose to provide for my saints for all things are mine. And then he says, but it must needs be done in mine own ways, meaning God has a vision and has goals, and he's going to go about achieving that vision and those goals in a way that might look very different from our own ways. As a couple of examples, in section 103, the marching orders for Zion camp, listen to verse 36. All victory and glory, all victory and glory is brought to pass unto you through your diligence, faithfulness, and prayers of faith. There's nothing mentioned in there about wielding a sword or waging war. And yet that's what a lot of members of Zion camp were upset at. They get there and they don't ever fight. When in the revelation commanding them to go, the Lord says, you're not going to fight. Your success is going to come because you're diligent, faithful, and you have prayers of faith. And in section 105, he mentions, uh, this is verse 14, I do not require at their hands to fight the battles of Zion. For as I have said in former commandments, even so will I fulfill, I will fight your battles. And so, uh, the way that God goes about achieving things is very different uh, often than the way that we might think something should be achieved. And so if we're looking at it from that mortal perspective, we're going to see failure when in reality God sees success. Case in point, Zion's camp from a mortal perspective was a failure. They did not go. They did not physically reclaim Zion. They didn't fight any battles and they go home without... And they had a horrible travel. And they had a horrible trip, I mean, right? it wasn't a. it wasn't a... Like you said, the bug thing. Yeah. Really sad. And that I hadn't even heard that one. And I already knew it was bad from other stories I'd heard. So. But if, as it says in section 105, Zion cannot be built up unless it is by the principles of the law of the celestial kingdom. Zion's camp did make people more righteous and more loyal. Out of Zion's camp came uh, apostles, came future leaders who would lead future exoduses. Brigham Young is a member of Zion's camp, and Brigham Young will lead the saints west. Some of the members of Zion's camp will lead the saints from Nauvoo, um, or from, from Independence, uh, from Missouri back to, to Quincy and then to Nauvoo later on. And so we became a more celestial people because of what happened in Zion, even if we didn't reclaim Zion. So by God's plans, if his goal is to help people live the laws of the celestial kingdom, then Zion's camp was a success. And those blessings just come in different ways. The The outcomes 
are different. Like we mentioned before, they're different than what we would have had in mind. And I think that's this verse in section 103, verse 12. It says, but after much tribulation, as I have said unto you in a former commandment, cometh the blessing. And I think the the tribulation can be different than we expect. And usually the blessings are different than we can expect too. And I think that's just an important perspective for us to remember. Um, and so I love that idea of God is different. He's different than us. Mm-hmm. And he sees things in a different way than we do. And I think that's a really good thing. I think that's why we seek after him and we seek his knowledge because he sees things so much more broadly than we do. Um, and so it's a beautiful thing that we get to seek him for inspiration for our lives so that we can at least get a peek into that broader perspective that he has. So with that perspective in mind of this broader view of how God sees us, how he sees his children, for our question, for our invest question this week, um, we want you to think about a failure or maybe a tribulation or a trial or something that you've gone through and ask yourself, what would this quote unquote failure look like from God's perspective? And I think that can help us to even like that verse I read of after much tribulation cometh the blessings, thinking of our failures and our tribulations from God's perspective, I think can be really helpful and maybe even bring us more peace and perspective in what we're facing. Well, if I can tack on a quick connect there, because we're almost out of time. Um, One of the things that is mentioned to the members of the camp of Israel when they're sent back, there's kind of a mini chiasmus in section 105. Verse 9 tells them to wait a little season for the redemption of Zion. And then verse 13 says the same thing. Wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion. And if you're familiar with chiasmus, that means that if you've got two poles, the same thing that's said at the beginning and the end, then what's in the middle is emphasized. And what's in the middle is verse 11. This cannot be brought to pass, meaning the redemption of Zion, until mine elders are endowed with power from on high. I know that a lot of temples are opening back up. And if they're not opened up for uh, for scheduled appointments, then at least they're opened up the grounds that we can go. For me, visiting the temple is a way to broaden my perspective and shift my mind from thinking about my life in my way to thinking about it from God's perspective. So a great way to connect to God this week or then the coming weeks might be to visit the temple and to try and shift our view to God's perspective. As you're looking for this broader perspective, God's perspective in your own life, whether that be going to the temple or pondering or praying or just seeking him, Um, I think this is a great invitation in section 103, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, let not your hearts faint. For I say unto you, mine angels shall go up before you and also my presence. And in time, you shall possess the goodly land. Um, Don't forget that he is with us as we take on any of our trials, that he's there um, to help us and bring us light as we go through things that feel uncomfortable and hard and feel like Zion's camp to us today. Thank you so much for studying with us. We'll see you next week.